This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. As the host of a nationally syndicated morning show, Gloria Purvis is used to having many people hear her voice. But in the wake of recent violence and injustice, she has been using her voice to amplify the cries against racism and the demands for personal and societal repentance. Today, she joins me, Leonard DiLorenzo, to speak not merely about law and order, but indeed about sin and conversion. Gloria Purvis, welcome back to Church Life Today. So glad to be back. Love talking with you. So, Gloria, in an interview you recently shared with Brian Frager of Our Sunday Visitor, you said, and I quote, I honestly think racism is demonic. Now, I got to tell you, when I heard you say that, most everything else we could say about racism suddenly seemed to me like a half measure, like racism is unjust. <laughs> you know, racism is criminal. Even, even racism yeah. is deadly, right? All of that suddenly yeah. seemed like less weighty and less apt. You said racism is demonic. <laughs> Why do you say that? It so clearly contradicts who God is and who we are in relation to God. We know we're made in His image and likeness, and from that is why we have our dignity and respect each human person, no matter what. The racism says, God, you're a liar. Not everybody is worthy of dignity and respect. Only a few are. Only a select few. And that is just from the pit of hell. I mean, it's just so obvious to me that it's the evil one attacking the human family, attacking the human person, and we just, for some reason, don't Having considered it on those terms, I think too often it's been spoken about as if it's merely a political issue when it's not. This goes to the very heart of who we are as human persons. And the enemy of the human person is the devil. And as much discord and hatred that he can sow among us, he will. If racism is demonic and it's something that's sort of gotten into not just under the skin or in the mind, but in the soul of especially Americans of the national character, like oh, yeah. who has been possessed and what have we seen as the oh. effects of that? <laughs> you know, I tell you, I, I, when you talk about, honestly, I think what came to mind was the Tulsa race riots mm. or race massacres, what they call it, because it was just like the mob <laughs> of the white community came and savaged this very successful, wealthy black community. They dropped bombs on the community. I mean, it was just, it, it, it defies all logic and reason, and it was so deadly. Mm-hmm. And so when I just say, I was like, I kept thinking there must have been a spirit that had come over these people and just taken them up in it, you know, to have them act in such a way and so openly. And with the aid of pretty much, you know, police, the government, the state government, it was just, it's crazy when you think about it. And um, when you say who has been possessed, honestly, I think it's, it's hard to say I want to, that I want to say any one person, but this influence, even the way in which our language, sometimes even our language can be so demeaning to persons of color without even realizing it. I see it also in people can't or react so negatively or with revulsion if there's a picture of Jesus and he's got black skin. Mm. You know, I remember one lady commenting, is that a picture on my page of that? Any other person, I think, think of this. The man has, the, the man in the picture has a cross. Mm-hmm. He's got a crown mm-hmm. of green. It's green. It's not like thorns. It's a green on his head. You can tell the crown. He's falling down and he's got like whip marks all over his body in a white um, like cloth around his groin area. And she simply could not understand who that was. 
She mm-hmm. could not comprehend that. She said, I just saw a black man falling down. And I was like, but he's got the cross, he's got the <laughs> crown, he's got the mark. How could you not see that this is Jesus? And it was just so amazing to me that it doesn't even factor in that this could possibly be him. To me, I was like, what is happening in a person's mind that the very obvious signs of Jesus, you know, the cross, the, the, the marks, the falling, the, the crown, that they could not comprehend that it was Jesus because it had black skin, basically. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what is clouding her vision? Because it's so, ob- I don't know, it's so obvious to me that it's him. But she wasn't the only one that had that response. And some people said that it was heretical because they were like, that's not him. That cannot be him. And then they also tied it very much with Eric Garner or George Floyd because the artist had written up on the upper right-hand corner, I can't breathe. And when I saw it, I never even linked it to George Floyd. I thought about the fact that the Lord did die through one of the ways, asphyxiation. I mean, he could not He couldn't breathe. breathe. And so I saw this as a beautiful piece for me to meditate on the passion of Christ. But they took it as that couldn't possibly be him. That you're trying to say that George Floyd is Christ-like. And and I was like, no, this is just a meditative piece, (laughs) a beautiful piece of art that I shared because I thought it'd be a nice meditation to help people meditate on his passion. Hmm. And how could you not see Christ? I still don't get that. And to me, that has to be something that's clouding their ability to relate to the Lord in any way with something that they find repulsive, frankly. Hmm. You know, that's not holy. So that the very, all the other marks that identify him as Christ, that we would clearly be able to tell it's him, but them could not possibly be because of his physical appearance, even though you couldn't see his face. You can just see the skin and the marks on his skin. And to me, there has to be something that clouds their ability to see him. And only the evil one wants to cloud our ability to see the Lord. You know, as you're talking about that, I'm just thinking about how, as you were saying, like how strong our constructed or imagined images of Christ become so strong, in fact, as you're pointing out here, that when that image is not satisfied, we can't even notice, some of us can't even notice the other marks of Christ's identity. And in this case, as you're saying, the marks are so obvious, right? These these aren't hidden. You can't see it when it's most obvious. How are you going to see the marks of Christ's identity and life and mission when it's less apparent to us, right? And think of how we laud the saints who could see Christ in the poor. So was it St. Francis? Was it a leper? Did he embrace mm-hmm. it with Christ hidden? Mm-hmm. And I was like, so we applaud that, right? And we think, oh, that's so great. But I'm like, can you see Christ in the black person? Yeah. You know what I mean? When he's represented in that way. Every, somebody comes and says something like, you're, you're, you're trying to politicize Christ. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> and they're like, that's not what he looked like. And I'm like, what? Uh, and I said, well, do you make these comments and all these ubiquitous images of a blue-eyed, blonde-haired Christ? I mean, is that mm-hmm. political? Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what is so angering? I don't think they realize how much the, the things that they hold on to that tell them lies about who their fellow brother and sister is can be reflected in the fact that they go so far as to even reject any presentation of Christ that they see with those who should be reviled. I'm, mm. There's no other way I can say it. Yeah. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today. I'm talking with Gloria Purvis, host of EWTN's Morning Glory program and national pro-life and social justice leader. Now, Gloria, part of what you're, I think we're leading to here in terms of the ways we see and the ways perhaps we've been taught to see 
in a corrupted way yeah. is goes to the heart of what we talk about as systemic racism. But this yeah. is something I feel like even now is pretty widely misunderstood. So can you help us to understand what do we mean by systemic racism here? I sometimes say I wonder if people in the Catholic Church do better when they say structures of sin. Okay. Right. So it's the it's systemic racism would be the practices, beliefs, policies, traditions that lead to um, and sustain racist behaviors and outcomes against people of color. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the people think structures of sin. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. Let me just say this to you. So if I say to somebody, there's clericalism in the church, does, does anybody, uh, nobody seems to disagree with that. They'll say, yeah, of course. And nobody seems to ask, oh, I need to see all kinds of statistics on it. They'll just say, yes, it's, it's, it's true. And so it's interesting to me that when we mention the word systemic racism, people get upset and angry and say that can't be true and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, let, let's, just, let's just really talk about it. We had how many years of slavery? What was that built upon? We had laws, rules, codes, attitudes, traditions, practices that clearly were meant to keep Black people in a place of servitude and seen as less than. What have we done actually, not just legally, but what have we done in actuality to uproot those cultural practices and beliefs and attitudes and traditions? We've done things in the law, but I mean... The Civil Rights Act wasn't even that long ago. There are people who still have family members who were alive at a time before people had the right to vote. And people say, oh, we had our first black president. That does not mean we have rooted out systemic racism. Oh, you got Oprah. Still, even with Oprah, Jay-Z, Beyonce, all these people that are millionaires, black people's average income is still substantially less. Mm-hmm. than white persons. And this is not by accident. A lot of people act like, oh, you think you got slavery has been over. Did they not know that right after slavery, there were pig laws and all these other kinds of things that criminalized being unemployed? And so the only people they applied that law to were freed Black people. Mm-hmm. And so you could be arrested for not being employed and sent into convict leasing and spend the rest of your life in that and die that way. Again, being re-enslaved. I mean, so there's so many things for people to think about. And then they'll say things like, but the law does not facially discriminate on its face. I mean, how could you say that? <laughs> we know it's how things are applied and interpreted. It's a heavy topic, a lot to get into. And frankly, I do get, I have to admit, I do get just tired when people, instead of wanting to even get into discussing systemic racism, try to point to these um Basically, notions, well, it's just that Black people are just inherently more criminal, mm-hmm. and um, you have your broken families, and that's the source of your problem. Instead of looking at, well, let's take a look at policing. Let's take a look at what it originated from. Let's take a look at their practices. Let's take a look at the statistics about brutality. Let's take a look at look, look at how they criminalized crack cocaine versus cocaine itself. Mm-hmm. You know, much harsher penalties, longer prison sentences, all these things. That lead to, well, if you keep black men in prison, you know, it, you know, criminalize things that maybe poor people have and they end up in prison, of course, they'll be away from their families. Mm. And then when you talk about putting people in areas where, I don't know if people know this, that the federal government redlined and did all kinds of things to prevent black people from being able to move out of certain neighborhoods. And then when you put the jobs and plants out near those neighborhoods where black people can't live, and then it's expensive to get a car because you pay more because they discriminate against you in lending. So how are people supposed to get to these places to get to these jobs when all these things are put in their way and neighborhoods 
is having restrictive covenants, it says you cannot sell your house to a non-white person. And then had a case in was it, Cicero, Illinois, where uh, the white man rented his house to a black family and the neighborhood straight up firebombed the house. Oh, my. I mean, yeah. So these kinds of things, attitudes, practices, behavior, you know, laws, traditions are part of what make up systemic racism. And at the heart of it is making sure that black people are kept in a place that is not equal with that of white people. Mm. Well, and you know, as we started this conversation, we were talking about racism as demonic, which means we're not just talking about injustice here. We are talking about injustice, but we're talking about something that's evil, sinister. We're talking about yeah. sin. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, even if I haven't said these words, like in some movements of my hearts or in the back of my thoughts, I can probably have also been guilty of, well, I'm not a racist, right? Like this default retreat mm-hmm. position. I've never discriminated mm-hmm. against anyone, at least as far as I can see or harmed anyone. I'm not the problem. So when mm-hmm. we're talking about the structures of sin, as you just so well articulated for us, maybe the hardest thing to see is the ways in which someone like me has benefited from the structures. Oh, yeah. The point of racism was to keep someone subjugated. Then who was to benefit? And, and I think sometimes people don't realize, white people don't realize they themselves are victims of racism as well. Now, I'm not saying all white people, but I'm saying it has deformed something in them that God had meant for good is now bent the other way. Mm-hmm. The generosity, the lovingness, the fraternity, all those kinds of things that you would expect among people who are to live together and love each other and see each other with dignity and respect, that capacity has been diminished, twisted. And I don't think a lot of times they have been socially conditioned just like anybody else. And it is a result of that that they have been deceived. So, for example, the Aunt Jemima stuff that, that people were talking about, oh, they're getting rid of Aunt Jemima and the image. And I was like, do they even know about the Mammy image and what that was supposed to convey Right. You know, understand the history of it and what it did to white people as well. It solidified a lie in their mind about black women, about our subservience and being happy to be subservient to the detriment of our own families. And that you would have this black servant at your beck and call. That was the whole Aunt Jemima Mammy nonsense. And it was interesting to me. People were like, oh, this lady named Nancy Green. And, you know, we hate the people lose. So I was like, you never knew Nancy Green, okay? And besides, there were a whole bunch of women's images used for Aunt Jemima. I was like, you never knew Nancy Green. What is it that you are lamenting is going to be lost? Oh, this many. I said, well, if you want to make sure she isn't, her memory isn't lost, compensate her family then. Mm-hmm. Compensate her descendants mm-hmm. for all those years that they used her picture after she was gone or any of these women. And people just look shocked at me. I said, so you're not really talking about lamenting the loss and is anybody going to forget her? When I say, well, okay, the just thing to do is to then compensate her descendants. It is really a loss of this romantic idea of subservience to white people. Sometimes I think people don't even grasp to engage with it deeply. And I'm like, why are you even lamenting that? Yeah. Be glad that it's gone. Anything that's still around that helps facilitate a lie about your fellow brother and sister, be glad that it's gone. Mm. Be glad that we'll be free of those shackles. So as much as we could get rid of those kinds of things that do deceive all of us about who the human person is, I said, we should get rid of it. Why would we not be glad that that's gone? I want to remind people, this is Leonard DiLorenzo, and you're listening to Church Life Today. My guest is Gloria Purvis, host of EWTN's Morning Glory and a national pro-life and social justice leader. Gloria, as you're talking about this and 
it's actually freeing, you're, you're reframing this whole conversation and issue for us. And this isn't just about yeah. the liberation of those who have been subjugated and oppressed. It's actually the liberation of those who have seemingly benefited mm -hmm. from the subjugation mm -hmm. and the oppression that we yes. have been beholden to a lie, right? Yes. And we need to see that. It's, we have been deceived by the enemy and and sometimes we participate in it because he seduced us by saying, look at this good thing I'm going to have, you know, that you can get, mm. you know, privilege meaning an unearned benefit, right? So mm. people might say, well, I don't have any white privilege. Your skin color is not an additional difficulty for you. In other words, mm -hmm. look at it like that. You're mm -hmm. free from having that additional difficulty of having to deal with skin color. You can walk in the door as a white person and they will assume competence, okay? Right. No one's doubting that you're competent. Right. They will assume you're innocent. No one's doubting that you're innocent. So in other words, let me help people understand something about what happened in Central Park between the Coopers, Amy Cooper, and right now the young, the African-American. Christian Cooper? His first name, Christian Cooper. I think it was Christian Cooper, yeah. I watched that, yeah, Christian Cooper. I watched that video and I was astonished at the number of people, despite watching the video, will say that he threatened her. Uh -huh. And I'm like, she doesn't act like a threatened woman. She gets up close to him. In fact, he's the one who said, please stay back. Please keep your distance, is he saying to her. And we watch her say on video that I'm going to call the police and tell them that basically an African-American man is threatening me. Not just said, a man. You can like say she whatever you a, like. Yeah, she made a point about his race. Like, that's that's the oh, point, yeah. there, right? And it, it's a whole it code. Yeah. It is exactly the code. And then we saw her perform. Mm. Right? We saw her perform on the telephone with the police and how she started getting more and more desperate and shrill in her pitch and whatnot. And you're like, oh my gosh, this woman is like really good acting. She's lying. Mm. We've seen him doing nothing. People will advert to something that happened off screen that he says, he told her to put her dog on the leash. And he says, look, you're not going to like what I'm going to do. And then he talks about his strategy of giving food to the person to make them realize when you don't have your dog on your leash, they're out mm -hmm. of control. The number of people said that that was threatening to her. Mm -hmm. But she was the one that was not following the rules in the park. And he had the audacity, I guess, to suggest that, you know, you should follow the rules here. And in fact, I'm asking you to, and to make you see how vulnerable you are with your animal that you have no control over. I'm going to pull out a dog treat and you'll see that it'll run away from you because you don't have your dog on a leash. People have taken that off-camera interaction as proof that he was threatening her. Whereas everything that we saw on camera is the, dis the great distance between them space-wise. Her coming up to him in his space, that's not, I, I'm a woman. If I'm, in, if I'm afraid of a man, trust me, I'm not getting up in his space to say anything. I'm trying to run the other way. Right. So it is presumed innocence that was conferred to her and the truthfulness conferred to her despite video testimony. And the fact that she lied to the police, they weren't outraged by that. These people, these great defenders of Amy Cooper and her innocence and her all these kinds of things to me that's endemic of systemic racism you cannot see the innocence of the black person despite on-camera evidence of this white woman lying about the interaction well i want to talk a and little you can't bit perceive it yeah i mm -hmm. want to talk a little bit here about what cameras have done so oh, God, in this yeah. case you know we have this interaction caught on camera and then there's as you're saying like the reflex to disbelieve the black man based on what you assume or imagine happened before the camera was on. In another instance mm -hmm. here, we have the horrific killing, the murder of George Floyd caught on camera. But even still with that, there was the question of what happened before the camera was rolling, right? That he must yes. have been playing a part. And it was only when further video evidence was produced to show that he wasn't resisting arrest in, in the way in which it had been 
purported that he was, that that narrative seemed to have been stabilized in some way to see this as just the taking of an innocent life here, a murder of, a, of an innocent man. Now, what is being said about Black testimony itself when it is not believed unless there is video evidence to back it up? Yeah, we're not trustworthy. I think people, instead of talking, like just in Catholic media, Mm -hmm. go to a white priest to confirm certain things about black people because he's a pastor of a black church. I'm like, why don't you just ask black people? Why don't you ask just black priests who are pastors of a black church? And then I realized because it's a testimony of the white person that they'll believe and take as true rather than the words that are coming out of the mouths of black people. Black people have been talking about police brutality for, what, 100 years now, if not Mm -hmm. more? Mm-hmm. And none of this is, oh, that's just not true. Oh, that's just not true. Oh, it's not been my experience, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, well, why would it be if you're a white person that you would have that same experience? So the testimony of black people just cannot be conceived as true. And even in the case of George Floyd, this is what kills me. I've seen prominent Catholics, prominent Catholics on their Facebook pages make comments like, oh, I wish someone had told them the influence of George Soros on this and trying to create a race war. Mm. And I'm like, first of all, we're not unthinking rude, number one. Number two, we've been talking about police brutality and racism for a long time now. And number three, really, is that your concern upon seeing a citizen, a son of God, you know, a son of Christ, a member of the body of Christ, murdered so coldly by a, an agent of the state that is paid with un- upholding the law? That's your concern, George Soros, and that we're being manipulated? Mm. And it's, I've come to see that some people who should know better, mainly us Catholic believers, don't have any empathy with George Floyd. We'll say, oh yeah, that's terrible. Let's him, we hope he gives justice. But do you see they burned out the target? Do you mm. see all this looting and rioting that's going on? Mm. And I'm like, there's a man dead in the street. People have lost their livelihoods and this and the other. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. If it's abortion and people are talking about things happening to a child after they're born, you all say none of these civil rights matter without the right to life. You're telling me I need to be concerned about a burned out target? When this, if this sort of cliff conversation, you'd remind me that all these material things don't matter if you don't have the right to life. And I'm telling you, a man was murdered and you're adverting to buildings that can be rebuilt, businesses that can be reconstructed, all of these things that can be recreated, but we could not get back this man's life. You're giving me a false witness about your pro-life values. Hmm. I realize that there's not this empathy with this Black person. Not like what we see in the, you know, we can watch abortion videos and be rightly outraged and upset. Here we see an agonizing, torturous murder of a black man calling out for his mama. Mm-hmm. And there's a betrayal when you see your fellow pro-life Catholics, Orthodox, all this kind of stuff, Orthodox Catholics, you know, they believe in the faith. Be so removed from that. And I had come to start to think the reason they cannot equate brutality, police brutality in this way with abortion is because something in their mind accepts that police brutality is needed to handle that quote unquote type of population. When I, people are like, well, abortion is intrinsic evil. I'm like, but murdering, brutalizing and murdering people is too. Yeah, this is not a choice. And they cannot, they cannot make that link. Yeah. I was like, as a pro-life person, I'm, I'm outraged about this because it is, again, the murder of a person. And here's another thing, let me tell you, Lenny, yeah. that I noticed. People then start, start talking about George Ford's past interactions with the police, past criminal actions. Yeah. Again, same tactics as what I see in the pro-abortion movement. 
dehumanize the child in the room. What they do to George Floyd when they do that is they're trying to dehumanize and trying to blunt and rationalize why you should not feel so bad that he was treated so awfully, why he was murdered so gruesomely. Mm. And it made me really realize how much racism, systemic racism, has poisoned our common bond as human beings. Mm. The people who know better, people who profess to believe in Christ, people who know the horror and evil of the murder of a child in the womb cannot muster that kind of empathy, that kind of even outrage over the murdering of a human being in the street by an authority, was given these authorities to use lawfully. People say, well, what about the crime in Chicago? These people shooting each other. Again, adverting from there's a difference between criminals being criminals and the police who have their authority and public trust to act with their authority legally, that there is a greater violation of trust when they themselves act like criminals and murder the very citizens they're supposed to protect. That's why it's not the same as private citizens murdering each other. Police officers have a higher level of public trust and given authority to act on that trust to keep us all safe. Mm. That is why there's a difference. So I really get annoyed when people start saying, well, if you really care about black life, I just want to say, shut up. Don't <laughs> talk to me about that because the fact is you're the one that doesn't care about black life unless you can use it to make a political point. Well, you know, I'm thinking, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, like the way in which Catholics in particular, Catholics in America might actually be part of the leaders in responding to this. Because I think about the way in which we as Catholics have a practice, a routine of confessing sin every time you go yeah. to a Sunday Mass. Even when you don't know what the sins are, we make the practice of saying, I'm at fault, right? I, through my fault, yes. through my fault, mm -hmm. through my most grievous fault, and what I have most done fault. to do, right? So how mm -hmm. might, on the basis of not just that, but thinking about a Catholic ethic of life, which is supposed to be untorn and unsegmented, when thinking about our practice of confession, when thinking about our call to solidarity, how might Catholics be called upon to be leaders here in the American psyche yeah. and American healing? Ooh. Okay, so I'm so glad you said this. I have started something where I want people, we're going to get together and we're going to pray and make reparations to God for the sin of racism. And anybody who's interested as we get this going, they can email me, blackcatholic for the number four, life at mac.com. Blackcatholic for life at mac.com. M-A-C.com. Yeah, MAC.com. Thank Got you. Mm -hmm. And we need to get together and we're going to do, gosh, the pandemic sure messes us up. But we're going to do holy hours together and do make reparation to God because he's the one that's chiefly offended by our sins. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that. And, I, and the other thing I would like to do is I saw that Bishop Cordelione, Archbishop Cordelione was exercising some statue, I guess, that had been maybe defaced or spray painted or something. And I was like, you know what? We can do a different kind of freedom ride. We can do a freedom ride through all the places of Black Massacre in the mm -hmm. United States and free that place of sin by exercising those spots. We can go to Tulsa, where the Tulsa Race Massacre was. We can go to Rosewood. Mm -hmm. We can go to Jacksonville, where there was Axe Handle Saturday. And if people aren't aware of that, it's when supremacists basically bought axes, took off the axes and kept the handles and beat Black civil rights marchers with these mm -hmm. handles, attacked them. We can go to the spot where George Floyd was murdered. Philando Castile, also right there in Minnesota. We can go in those kind of freedom rights and free that place of the presence of that evil that is lingering there from these horrific acts. But before we get there, I would love for us to be able to get together as community and pray and make reparation. 
And I think the other reason we are best suited to do this as Catholics, we have the language of the truth about who the human person is. And yes, there should be policies, there should be all those things, but if we don't start ourselves girded with the truth and understand that this is a spiritual battle that we're going into um, and arm ourselves in those ways, I think we're going to just fail and it'll just be another movement about power when that's not what it's about. I want to just point out here like the power in what you're saying because you're not saying somebody else do it. You're saying, please come join me. I'll be part of asking for forgiveness and reparation, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Gloria, yeah. this has been, as always, an illuminating and a powerful conversation. Thank you for not only for this conversation, but for your leadership um, and for helping us oh. a little bit better. Yeah. Thank you to everybody else for joining us on Church Life Today. This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Does debt have you down? Are you worried about your credit cards, your mortgage, or keeping your car? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union can help. Our people are trained to be financial physicians. They can give you a checkup, help you to heal, and then stay healthy. Don't be embarrassed. It's why we exist. When your body is sick, you go to see a doctor. When your finances are sick, you go to see the friendly folks at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits?